Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Podrick Reedy. This week... East Belfast Magic Realism with John Carson's Firestarters. John Carson is a writer and community arts facilitator based in Belfast. Her first novel, Malcolm Orange Disappears, was published in 2014 to critical acclaim, followed by a short story collection, Children's Children and a flash fiction anthology, Postcard Stories. In 2016, she won the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Competition and was shortlisted for the Sean O'Fallon Short Story Prize. The Firestarters is her second novel. John Carson, welcome to Little Atoms. Um, we're talking about Firestarters. The Firestarters is based in present day, or roughly yeah. around East Belfast. Can you describe that setting of East Belfast? Um, East Belfast is a it's a really interesting bit of the city. We would say it's probably the last what we call single identity part of Belfast left. So it's mostly Protestant with gentrifications beginning to sweep in on the outer edges of the east and you'll have some young professionals buying their first houses out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the inner east is mostly little terrace streets where the doors open onto the front street and the back door opens to the back, back alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mostly built to house shipyard workers. So, um, you know, it's a very post-industrial area. Um, there would be quite high unemployment rates now um, and traditionally quite a strong hold for the paramilitaries. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the kind of loyalist paramilitaries would have really been very present in East Belfast. And you'll see that reflected in the murals everywhere on the, the gable ends of the walls. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people nowadays in East Belfast, in sort of based from East Belfast in the summer and most people listening might have some idea of East Belfast you know, that mean that means bonfires. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about the bonfire culture because it's important it's a very it's a, you know, it's a fundamental part of the book. Yeah. But tell us about that that culture and bonfires in the twelfth and what that means. Um, I mean it's it's interesting. In Northern Ireland the culture and bonfires on the twelfth of July, everyone kind of knows the background to it and um, this may seem a little patronizing for some people, but um, on the 12th of July, the um, Protestant community in Northern Ireland celebrate the Battle of the Boyne when William of Orange um, came over and supposedly defended um, Ireland from the, or defended the, the North in particular from the Catholicism. Um, 
how much of that is based in actual history and how much is now kind of developed, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the 12th of July, they march, the Orange Men march behind bands and there are parades throughout Northern Ireland. On the 11th night, there are these large bonfires lit and they um, kind of commemorate um, the bonfires which were lit by William of Orange's loyal followers to show the way to the original battlefield. Now, when I grew up, in rural Northern Ireland, the bonfire was in a field and it wasn't mm. too high and was actually, we would go along, have some hot dogs, bit of singing and be home not too late. <laughs> um, within built up areas and particularly East Belfast in certain areas of, you know, up, up the Shankle and different places, the bonfires are, are very much in urban built up areas and they've got bigger and bigger. So they're now hitting 60, 70 feet and will mm-hmm. be built like literally yards from houses where people live. So they you know they can be quite threatening symbols. They're quite dangerous. They sometimes tip over. Um, and any kind of attempts to reduce the height of them have been met with, you know, a lot of resistance. We start with um with two characters that we're following here. We have Jonathan who's a young middle-class doctor. Um, from East Belfast, but a kind of a slightly different kind yeah, of East Belfast. Yeah, the, the edges of East yeah. Belfast. Yeah. And Sammy, who's a yeah, middle class, middle age, sorry, middle aged rather, working class man from from what you call the inner east, and they have very different experiences of of Belfast. They inhabit different spheres. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan is a, a character who's grown up um, very middle upper class parents. They wanted him to achieve a lot, but didn't really give him a lot of love mm-hmm. or a lot of um, nurturing. And as soon as they they could, they wiped their hands off him and moved out of Belfast. And he's grown up as a doctor with an inability to connect with people. So he's quite an isolated character. He really struggles to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, Sammy is a man who's grown up in the inner east and um, his early life is very much marked by involvement with the paramilitaries. But it's not really out of any particular allegiance to the cause. It's more because Sammy has a bit of a bloodlust. He really loves violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and the turning point for Sammy is when he has his first child, Mark, and the baby's put in his hands and he realises that actually the responsibility that comes with being a father is much more of terrifying than anything he's ever got off a gun or a bomb. Mm-hmm. And that becomes almost like a kind of like catalyst for change. So he moves his family out of the inner east towards the suburbs. He tries to cut off all ties with the paramilitaries, um, middle classify himself really. Mm. But that bloodlust never really leaves him. It's still there in him, and he knows it's there, and he's constantly struggling against it. Let's talk about Jonathan for a while. He's um, so he's a doctor. He's as I say, he struggles to connect. At one point, he gets involved in a very weird um, (laughs) (laughs) describe that very strange (laughs) one night stand so um, Jonathan takes a a call one night when he's um, the doctor on call and he gets invited out to um, this block of flats on the edge of East Belfast and when he gets there he finds this strange woman Mm -hmm. who words don't really describe her like we haven't got a name for her or anything and she suggests him and mm-hmm. for Jonathan whose whole life he's been so uptight and so unemotional it's a really overwhelming experience and they, they stay in the flat for about three days together and then he decides just on a whim he's going to move her into his house mm-hmm. so she moves in with him he loses all track of time doesn't go to work um, and it transpires very quickly that she's pregnant 
and the, the nine months of the pregnancy go by really, really quickly. And what happens then is when, when the baby's born, um, she's left behind. So the, this mysterious woman disappears and leaves Jonathan with this small baby girl. And he, he re- has realised by this point that what he's actually hooked up with is a siren. Mm. Um, so he's been seduced by a woman who every time she opens her mouth to speak, he's completely powerless. Um, and Sophie, which is what the baby decides to name her Sophie, he's not sure if she's a siren or she's a human child. So he's suddenly thrust into this situation of, I have a responsibility for this baby. She's partially mine. Mm-hmm. 50% of her is human, so it may go okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. If the 50% of her that siren comes to the front, the minute that she begins to speak, mm-hmm. we're, we're all in big trouble. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan's part in the narrative is really exploring this idea of, of what responsibility a parent has over the, the words, the actions, the impact that their children have. Um, mm-hmm. And his big struggle right from the start is whether he tries to silence her in some yeah. ways or not. Um, but he also goes on a really interesting journey for the first time in his life. He loves someone. He has yeah. all of this rush of emotion that he hasn't got really got words or any idea of how to, to deal with. So he's quite a fun character to write. Mm. Um, I come from quite a conservative background and was raised Presbyterian and that idea of being very in control and um, very formal and not letting the emotions get the run off you, as we would say in Northern Ireland, is, you know, that was very much worked into me. So there's a lot of me in Jonathan and, you know, as his emotions begin to come to the surface and wake up, it was quite fun to write that because I know that experience myself as well. So John, as you say, Jonathan meets this this woman, and um, this if she is a woman, <laughs> I guess is the question that's left looming, and has this child. He, he has this terrible fear, as you say, of the, yeah. which I was guessing, you know, in, in, is that thing that all parents have is just a dreadful fear of what yeah. the hell is going to happen, and Sammy similarly has a, a slightly less supernatural but no less fear about yeah it, i mean it's not yeah. it's it's not a supernatural experience that sammy has but it is an absurd mm-hmm. exaggerated experience and i i guess that was one of the things that drew me as a magic realist to exploring loyalist culture in the first place mm-hmm. this idea that the symbols of something like a 70 foot bonfire or you know king billy on his white horse or orange men beating these enormous lambeg drums that are you know the size of a tractor tire they're absurdist they're strange they're you know they're not quite magical but neither are they entirely realist symbols yeah so a lot of the book i think is playing with those lines between what is realism and what is you know fictive what's magical what's made up so um sammy's son mark um, for all of the, his attempts to protect him and to bring his family out, up away from the kind of influence of paramilitaries and violence, he begins to realise that his son is actually orchestrating all of the, the chaos that's being going on in Belfast over this very intense summer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a kind of rebel faction who are reacting against height restrictions on the bonfires by setting fire to buildings and anything they can get their hands on across Belfast as a, a kind of mark of protest. Um, and it, he realises that his mark, who's been posting YouTube videos and controlling all of this from his bedroom at the top of the house. 
And Mark is sort of part of a generation, I guess, which didn't experience the capital T troubles. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like, Mark is about 10 years younger than me. I was born in 1980, so I did get the tail end of it. Um, And Mark is part of this kind of disenfranchised generation of, you know, loyalist young men and women um, in, in Northern Ireland who feel like, you know, post Good Friday, a lot of their symbols, their cultural identity, their idea of who they are as Protestants has been erased. So, mm-hmm. you know, restrictions on marching, restrictions on flags, you know, the, the changing of the RUC to the PSNI and, you know, all of the, the legislation that was brought in to make things more fair. They do feel like the compromise has all been on their side of the boat. Now, I will say that Mark is a very similar character to his father, Sammy. And he plays the card of using the symbols and the political allegiance and the politics. But really, for him, it's the same lust for violence. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it would really matter which particular campaign he was pinning his card to. He just wants to cause chaos and hurt people. Um, and even as a small child, there are these glimpses into him being fascinated by violent news stories and, you know, talk of serial killers and things like that. He's, he's just he's a, he's a bad kid. Yeah, yeah, but he does, you know, does, you know, as you say, a lot of what he taps into, what feels like a, a, a grievance for a lot of people, and and mm. the language being used mm-hmm. is about, you know, it, that, that he talks about, and, and Jonathan encounters some kids who have been who engaged, and as you said, the seven thirty walls, and they're talking about we're losing our civil liberties. Yeah, that feels that's a genuine concern for yeah, them. Yeah. It may not be true, but it's a, it's a real thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, some of like language to me is really interesting. And this is essentially it's a book that explores rhetoric and how mm-hmm. rhetoric can be used to impact people and cause chaos, or you know, can also be used for really good ends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's intriguing about is, you know, I spend a lot of my time area wigging on people. I walk around, I listen to folks in coffee shops, I listen to the young people who are on the streets in East Belfast. And I'm not entirely sure sometimes that they understand the language that they're using. So these are phrases like, you know, you're restricting my civil liberties and, you know, you're compromising my sense of identity. And they don't always have a fully formed idea of what that is, but it's a phrase they've heard mm-hmm. and they've repeated. So, you know, I've spent years working in, in community projects in Belfast and I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but you'll sometimes go into a single identity area and say, so what's the issue here? We hate Catholics. Why do you <laughs> hate Catholics? Because we do. Like, have you always hated Catholics? I, my daddy told me to hate Catholics. <laughs> and it's a repeated phrase that has yeah. lost its meaning. There's not been thought behind it. So language to me is really interesting. Um, and the ambivalence of language, in particularly in Northern Irish culture, like the, the novel begins with a section on, you know, what do words mean in Belfast? You know, yeah. even what is Belfast? Yeah. It, you know, this is it starts this is a city like Belfast. You know, it could be Belfast or it might mm. not be. Depends what way you're looking at it. But I think what you described about the, the how you can very quick quickly things become absurd and the way the way you describe them in the book about you know, the way some of the Titanic Centre looms over Belfast and mm. and the cranes loom over Belfast. There's a very there's a very weird scale thing, but also I think, I think the with bonfires, obviously the yeah. the key issue being scale, and I think so, sometimes you'll see you you can see pictures of pictures of bonfires you know, in the middle of you know terrace houses, and it looks like 
it looks like a trick of scale and then you know this is real yeah yeah um i mean the idea for the book came from it began as a kind of smaller piece and i was in washington dc and i had read a a magic realist short story that i have about um fat ladies being sedated and strapped to tables and shook until they lose weight (laughs) which is real absurdist Mm. and magic realism and then afterwards I read a, this section of the story about these 80 foot bonfires which was, there was nothing in it that wasn't just pure realism mm-hmm. and the Americans said, oh that's great where did you get the idea for that? You're a fantastic magic realist <laughs> and I said, you know, well, if you go up the, the Newton Arch Road in the, around July, like, you'll see this isn't mm. magic realism and then they began to ask, like, do you strap your fat people to tables and shake them too in Belfast? <laughs> and that was where the, the, the kind of penny dropped for me around, like, there's something to be done here with these absurdist concepts. Mm-hmm. And I guess as well, like, Kurt Vonnegut would be a big influence on in my writing. And mm-hmm. I, I thought a lot about Slaughterhouse-Five when yeah. I was reading this book. And just, you know, the bombing of Dresden was so real and so horrific, but also absurdist in mm. its scale. And fire is just a really, it's such a powerful symbol. Yeah, fire and you know, literally melting streets. Yeah, is, yeah. bubbling tarmac yeah. and windows popping out and um, satellite dishes that kind of go limp after a while in the heat. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot of fire stories is just about words and, and, and the absurdity of you know, the words that people use without having any clue of their meaning. 
but it's also about about secrets and in particular about how how societies keep secrets. Yeah. And how individuals, how men in particular, I guess, keep secrets. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think about it till afterwards because um, I think a lot of writers they make things up and they say they thought for ages about their work and <laughs> these were the themes they were exploring. Mostly, I find you write it and then the book tells you what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess. Um, we've had a real problem with depression and suicide in Belfast over the last number of years, particularly young around young men. Yeah. Um, and I, a huge part of that is the legacy of the troubles and the kind of psychological impact of that. And there are other factors as well. You know, we're a post-industrial city with almost no skilled labour positions. Um, and that, I think, does something to, to particularly men's dignity, you yeah. know, um, at the height, the shipyards had 30,000 skilled labourers working on it. And now we have the cranes looming over the city, reminding us of what used to be there, but it's not there anymore. And I guess I got really interested in there was a, a campaign a wee while ago about just trying to get men to talk to each other. You know, if your if your head's gone, you need to tell people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, you know, you can get help and feel better about your situation. But we are a, a kind of community of particularly men who don't talk. And they yeah. certainly don't talk about emotions and feelings. And I, I wanted to explore that. You know, if, if you go into any pub in, in Belfast, you'll hear lots of talk about the football, lots of talk about, you know, politics, all the surface issues. But rarely will you hear somebody saying, like, I'm not feeling great in myself at the minute. Mm. Um, and I wanted to to explore that and I, I think it's it's not a theme that's kind of particular to Northern Ireland um, I'm a massive Inspector Morse fan and you know that is the kind of line that goes through Morse and Lewis and, and now we've got Endeavour they're men who essentially love each other in a mm. familial kind of community way but they would never say that yeah. there's silence and there's secrecy and there's keeping yourself to yourself I think you described it very well to start the, the the book, the the means by which men manufacture closeness, yeah. being yeah, you know, it's the book is based in a World Cup year, yeah, yeah, and there's you know, not not necessarily a substitute for talking, but that kind of being in the yeah. pub, drinking, watching the football, talking about the football, everything like creating at least a togetherness, yeah, bond, not quite unspoken bond because everyone's here because they like the football, and, yeah, but they're not going to get into anything deeper than that. No, yeah, but I also think there's a language that you can decode. Mm-hmm. as well like there are words that are used and spoken between men that mean way way more so even the the intonation in a word kind of infer like closeness and yeah. or so there's a, a section that I really love about the it's not, it's not even really a word but um, a lot of pe- people in Belfast are very fond of the word yo mm. and it can be used to kind of mock someone it can be used also to kind of champion someone and say like you know somebody got an award their mates might go yo <laughs> um, and it, yeah. it's the flexibility of language yeah. um, and I, I think you know we need to learn how to decode that better because I think there are people who are reaching out to each other we're just not understanding the subtleties of the ways that they're communicating 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did for, I mean, it's completely useless and I've never used it for anything, but my master's dissertation, I did a dissertation on um, theology and contemporary culture and I looked at um, the use of elusive rhetoric. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a passage in Mark 4, verses 10 to 12, where Jesus is asked why he speaks in parables. And he says that they may be ever hearing, but never understanding. Um, and I unpicked that in um, Dylan's um, Highway 61 Revisit It, uh-huh. which is the first record where he moves from the very upfront kind of, you know, protest music that's yeah. basically telling people how to think to use of this elusive symbolism and metaphors piled up on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got really fascinated by the flexibility of you know, if, if you can use words and not be prescriptive, so you're not preaching at someone or telling them how to think, but there's a flexibility of interpretation there. Yeah. What you're doing is saying, I think you're intelligent enough to work this out for yourself. I think you deserve to have your own opinion about how this should be mm-hmm. interpreted. I think that you need to invest something in the interpretation of this language. It's harder work to unpick and decode language than it is to actually just be told how to think. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was probably also ricocheting about in my head as well. And that's where, for me, as an arts facilitator, as well as a writer, art has played a massive role in the process of, you know, being, if you want to say, post-conflict or however you talk about the period over the last 20 years in Northern yeah. Ireland. It creates this space that isn't prescriptive, where you have to invest in thinking for yourself and using language that doesn't feel like you're being told how to think you can have a multiplicity of different identities that's not in this book these Mm -hmm. two characters are still in you know they're still in the what side are you on you know you're being told how to think it's very and and that's why I think they're frustrated but you see a lot I mean, Jonathan particularly, because that's the less the less socialised of the two in a way, or you. He he gets very angry about about cliche. He, fi- he, he yeah. finds it very. Uh, is that because is that because he hasn't been almost been socialised enough to understand the value yeah. of cliche? Well, I think or the I mean, that, the to me use. that's like there's a passage where he talks about oh these people who come into my surgery and they talk like characters out of standards yeah. and. You know, have they not got any more nuanced way of talking? And what he doesn't understand that, you know, just because they're using a phrase or a sentiment that might feel tired to him, it doesn't mean the meaning behind it Mm. is tired. Mm. So um, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. You know, we would say if something was was having a hard time in in Northern Ireland, you'd say, dear, love you. Mm -hmm. And it can be said as a really past remarkable thing that means nothing. But if it's said by somebody who cares about you with the right intonation and you're looking the person in the eye, it can mean an absolute ocean of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I mean about it's not that the language is tired or inflexible. It's that you have to invest in being able to, you know, read the meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just So quickly, so Jonathan... Yeah, he does find in the the almost cliched settings of a support group. He does he does find yeah. some way through, but, but it's no need. It's a support group for what's called in the book unfortunate children, which is the kind of strongest magic realist elements, yeah, I guess, in, yeah. in the book. 
Let's tell us about that. So there are unfortunate children all over Belfast. We really just get to meet the unfortunate children of East Belfast, which is one of my favourite phrases that I've ever come <laughs> up with. Um, and the unfortunate children are basically children who've got some kind of power or gift that they struggle to deal with. So mm. there's an unfortunate girl who everything she touches turns to Christmas um, and she gets a, a job in a supermarket um, on the checkout and she has to wear oven mittens because <laughs> otherwise she unleashes all sorts of good cheer and festive wonderfulness every time she touches an item of food and um, there's a, a, a girl who I love Ella who is a little girl with wings but mm-hmm. she can't fly um, and her parents are constantly pushing her out of trees and off step ladders to try and, and get her flying and she actually has this gorgeous gift of being able to practice resurrection mm-hmm. so she can touch things and bring them back to life but her parents aren't interested in that they just expect her to fly so Jonathan um he meets Ella in his surgery as a doctor. She's broken her wrist after another failed attempt to fly. And her mother tells him about this support group for parents of, you know, these not gifted children. They're kind of like crap X-Men. <laughs> um, you know, they've gifts that like you really wouldn't want. And Jonathan goes along and he gets... At, at first he feels that this will be a support structure... And then he realizes that, you know, his child potentially is dangerous. Yeah. Like these are just kids with unfortunate issues, but his child could potentially destroy people. Mm-hmm. And so he's even removed from that support group setting. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to leave it there very well. I'm going to ask you to read first just, I yeah, think, the opening yeah. of the book describing Belfast. This is Belfast. This is not Belfast. Better to avoid calling anything a spade in this city. Better to avoid names and places, dates and second names. In this city, names are like points on a map or words worked in ink. They are trying too hard to pass for truth. In this city, truth is a circle from one side and a square from the other. It's possible to go blind staring at the shape of it. Even now, 16 years after the troubles, it is much safer to stand back and say with conviction, It all looks the same to me. The troubles are over now. They told us so in the newspapers and on the television. Here we're very great with religion. We need to believe everything for ourselves. We're all about sticking the finger in and having a good hook around. We did not believe it in the newspapers or on the television. We did not believe it in our bones. After so many years of sitting one way, our spines had set. We will take centuries to unfold. The troubles have only just begun. This is hardly true either. It depends upon who you're talking to, how they're standing, and which particular day you've chosen for the chat. Those who are ignorant of our situation can look it up on Wikipedia and find there a 3,000 word overview. Further articles can be read online and in academic journals. Alternatively, a kind of history can maybe be acquired from talking to the locals. Piecing this together will be a painstaking process, similar to forging one jigsaw puzzle from two or perhaps twenty. The troubles is too less a word for all of this. It's a word for minor inconveniences, such as overdrawn bank accounts, slow punctures, a woman's time of the month. It's not a violent word. Surely we have earned ourselves a violent word, something as blunt and brittle as apartheid. Instead, we have a word like scissors, which can only be said in the plural. The troubles is, was, one monster thing. The troubles is, are, many individual evils caught up together. 
Other similar words include trousers and pliers. The Troubles is always written with a capital T, as if it were an event as the Battle of Hastings is an event, with a fixed beginning and end, a point on the calendar year. History will no doubt prove it is actually a verb, an action that can be done to people over and over again, like stealing. And so we draw no lines. We say this is not Belfast, but rather a city similar to Belfast, with two sides and a muck-brown river soldering one to the other. Roads, other roads, train tracks, chimneys, all those things common to a functional city are present here in limited measure. Shopping centres, schools, parks and the unspoken possibility of green acres glooming in the spring. Three hospitals, a zoo from which animals occasionally escape. To the east of the city, a pair of yellow cranes stride across the horizon like bow-legged gentlemen. To the west, a hill, hardly a mountain by alpine standards, trips over itself as it tumbles into the bay. Strung along the coastline, there are very many buildings. They are perched like coy bathers, dipping their toes in the grainy sea. There are boats, big boats, smaller boats, and that, that sunken boat which holds the whole city captive from the ocean floor. There are no future boats. Instead, there are glass and gunmetal structures stapled across the skyline. These are like stairs ascending towards the tooth-white heights once occupied by God. These are office blocks and hotels for visiting strangers, Americans mostly, and people from other earnest places. We have scant respect for these people and the photographs they will take. They believe themselves brave for coming to this city, or at the very least, open-minded. We wish to say to them, Are you mad? Why have you come here? Didn't you know there are other proper cities just one hour away by budget airline? There's even Dublin. We're not supposed to say this. We've already begun to lean on their money. John Carson, thank you. Thank you very much. This episode of Little Atoms was presented by me, Podrick Reedy, and edited by Sky Redman. Little Atoms is supported by 89UP and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. And remember to check out littleatoms.com for a full archive. Thank you for listening. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.